Welcome to Deep Look, Ulti World's weekly radio show about the current state of Ultimate. I'm the host and the editor of Ulti World, Charlie Eisenhood. Joining me is Ulti World's senior editor, Keith Rayner. And it's a new milestone today, Keith. It's, it is, it really is. And, you know, I've made fun of you for, I don't know, years now for continuing to say weekly radio show, despite the fact that I think weekly podcast would be <laughs> a much more apt title. But now it's truly inaccurate as we are a video show at this very moment. Although I guess radio shows could be video shows and podcasts, but like nobody yes. has ever listened to the show on a radio, right? That's probably true. ESPN does it though. You know, they have their, they have their radio shows that get <laughs> they have radio out. stations, Charlie. I understand, but I'm saying they have radio shows that also get put on, on, on camera on television. So we are making the move to YouTube. Now this doesn't, if you're listening as a podcast, which 98% of you are, listening on spotify or itunes or wherever you listen uh the, your, your experience will not be affected here but we are going to have a youtube version of the show where keith and i sit in our home studios quote-unquote studios um <laughs> and uh welcome in guests and we're going to have video for all of it so home studios but emphasis on the home yeah you know? and if you want to watch us talk you can watch us talk on youtube as opposed to just listening to us talk on spotify yeah, and who knows? You may get uh, some cat cameos, or uh, maybe my dog Maisie will make an appearance. Uh, you know, maybe uh, you get to look at Charlie's board games, or uh, who knows what kind of random stuff might happen. Uh, if there's some definite benefits. I already have. I mean, I have cat cameo a little bit over my uh, over my right shoulder here. Where? What is? What is the origin story of that picture of Links? That is that is a painting that was done by Josie Pratt. Uh, <laughs> who's married to Orion Burt, our director of technology. She's she's an artist, and she made this amazing uh, portrait of Lynx. Presumably, so, you had a picture of Lynx that you used. You didn't make Lynx sit still. I, you no. Know, and it was a surprise. <laughs> it was a wedding gift. So uh, we got it as a surprise. I don't know where the, the, the actual original photo came from. I'll, I'll find it and print it out and put it up on the, <laughs> the background at some point. So uh, people have already told me about having Connect 4 in my board game shelf. But you know what? Connect 4 is a fun game. All right. You I disagree, but to I'm not going to hate you for board games. My favorite uh, board game is Monopoly, which Monopoly is a great game. Okay, but a lot of people are haters, Keith. They should, oh, well, have you seen this whole movement about like the original rules of Monopoly? That like there's an actual Monopoly rule set and nobody's played with it really. So no, wait a minute, are you Monopoly just talking about auction game? rules, or are you talking about some yes. like lost? Oh no, I know auction. No, rules. I'm, I'm talking extensively about auction. Yeah, so. yeah. Au- auction rules is legit. My my relationship with Monopoly is we used to play I used to play Monopoly with uh, my best friend when I was like growing up at his house and his older brother and they played with rules like uh, that you know we didn't play at my household you if somebody rolled before you had to call rent if you called rent and it was incorrect yeah. or you called rent for somebody else you had to pay the rent so if you were like hey he's on your property you have to pay him then you had to pay the rent. If so you, you weren't roll, you weren't allowed to snitch, basically. Yeah, no snitching. Ah, okay. Uh, if you if the person rolled before you call rent, you don't get your rent. If you rolled and hit a house or a hotel, you had to pay a fine for your dice hitting those things. Uh, okay. And they would always beat me under these rule sets. What about free parking? I mean, these are these are also smart guys. Uh, there there was free parking. Uh, they they would always beat me under these rule sets and. It got to the point where my friend's mom would feel so bad that she would sneak me five hundred dollar bills. She would oh, wow. like bring us all snacks and sneak me the banker a couple five hundreds uh, to try and keep me in the game. But... I, I always like to be the banker. I, I'm I'm extremely good at Monopoly. I'm, I'll just come <laughs> out and say it. I'm a great Monopoly player. Um, and people would like accuse me of cheating because I was the banker that I was like giving myself money. But in fact, I I, I just drive a hard bargain. And you just got to know that you got to know the key properties to get. You got to know which monopolies to go after. You're not gonna. You're not gonna enlighten the viewer. There, there is the subscriber there is an, only segment. There is there what is the best objective, property rankings are. There is an objective fact, and it. I, I think it very much stands up to the test of actual gameplay. Are you about to say which ones are the best properties? Because so let me guess. You want to guess which ones are the best? It's the orange. It's properties. definitely the orange. One hundred. Because they have an advanced two card. And there's three of them, and where they are positionally on the board. See, you get it. We got to play some uh, yeah, Monopoly. I'm not dumb. We should. We, gotta, we should. We got to play some Monopoly. Let's stream 
We'll play Deep Look live Monopoly, and we'll let you listen <laughs> in as we roll the dice. Um, let's see. Uh, we got a we got a we got a fun show today. Uh, we're going to be talking with Tanya Beiswinger a little bit later on. She is the president of the Greater Rochester Area Disc Association, an organization that ran summer leagues and fall league uh, this this past year. So we're going to talk about how that went, what they did, the COVID mitigation policies they had in place, why they decided to run leagues. Looking forward to talking with Tanya. But Keith, first, the Super Bowl is this weekend. Is so, it now? Yes, yeah, sure is. Uh, we got Chiefs versus Bucks, Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady. The NFL cannot believe how much the ratings are going to be. I mean, could you ask for a better quarterback matchup for ratings? I don't think what so. If, what if you didn't have to ask? What if you had control? <laughs> what I'm just saying. Just... just throw it out there. <laughs> Make it happen. I mean, so they must have put some poison in Aaron Rodgers' food for him to play as bad as he did last week. Um, so, Keith, the current line, the last I looked, was Chiefs minus three. It's been three or three and a half all week. I'm seeing three and a half, but I, okay. I trust you. We'll call it three and a half. We can call it three and a half. Chiefs minus three and a half. Who are you taking? Chiefs. Okay. Uh, I guess. I guess on the. Uh, I guess there's like an argument that you could get like a low scoring game, and maybe that favors the the underdog in that situation because the Bucks defense is so good. Uh, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. Uh, I just I just want to believe in the power of of Mahomes, and I want to root against Brady, like any good person should want to do. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm it's maybe a little bit of a vote with my heart rather than my head. But I also think that you know the Chiefs are a proven commodity. Patrick Mahomes has been able to get it done time and time again, and the Bucks defense is good. But there's just something about playing against Mahomes that's. Uh, I hear you. Turns bad I mean, defenses defense, into good defenses and bad ones. Their defense is really good, Keith. Agreed. I mean, it's it's a, it's above and beyond the typical defense. I mean, they made they made an amazing Green Bay offense look terrible last week. But but this is not an all time like they're one of the best defenses in the league. Yes. But I don't feel like this is a like all time defense or anything. You know, this is not somebody who you're like cower. We're going to be talking about ten years from now. But the Chiefs' offense feels a little bit more like you know they're in the throes of of the prime of a offense we're gonna be talking about for many for many years like is Mahomes already an uh, a hall of famer if he like no I don't think I think he hasn't quite been yet. in the league long enough well right but like if he had a full even even if he never like made the Super Bowl again if he just had like 10 more years or whatever I think that would do it probably well anyway I, I have a 55 to 1 Chiefs future that I got as a promo at the beginning of the season. I could only put $1 on it, but I'm, I'm happy to have 55 to one uh, on the chiefs. Yeah. That's got to, that's got to feel pretty good right now. I, I, yeah, of course uh, I did. I did bet a little bit on the three and a half Tampa Bay plus three and a half. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I, I see a world in which Tampa Bay runs away with it, but you know, remember back to a year ago, chiefs were probably maybe even seen as a bigger favorite than they were this year. And the 49ers should have won that game. Now, I'm a 49er fan, so for sure I'm a homer. But, like, they were ahead, and they got a pick in the fourth quarter that should have put that game away. And we had a couple bad things happen, and the Chiefs ended up coming back and winning. And the thing is, I think it's possible that Tampa Bay's defense is better than the Niners' defense. And it's not like the Chiefs, like, dominated that game. Now, Mahomes did some incredible stuff down the stretch. I expect that again. I could see the Chiefs winning by 20. But I also think that there's a real good chance that Tampa Bay is going to keep it close. I mean, Tom Brady, man, he just he finds a way. He finds yeah. A way. I mean, he fi he finds a way for the other coach to decide to take a horrendous decision <laughs> oh, no. with four yards away from the end zone. I, wasn't I, mean, it up. I think it was like eight years, eight, I wasn't eight yards away from the end zone. But like, why would you give the ball back to Tom Brady in that situation? Oh my God, so bad. Like, did he? <laughs> does he have some sort of hex power? <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, no. Well, it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, the Weekend is performing the halftime show. It, it feels like that's kind of an odd choice, but I, I guess I'm excited to see how The Weekend does in this kind of if like you, if you, if you, environment. The the Weekend has been, I think, more and more of a pop star as far as like Maybe creating so. more high energy music that I think will fit more in a stadium crowd than than you might realize. But uh, we'll we'll see. I think, I think our eyes are probably more on like... Uh, 
who's singing a national anthem since uh, the national anthem length is always a big popular betting prop. Who, do we know, know who is singing? Uh, I I saw her name recently, Janice something. I want to say, um, not an art, not an artist I was familiar with, but um, I'm sure we can quickly check the props and see uh, what the over under. Jasmine is. Sullivan is her name. Jasmine. It will be a duet between Jasmine Sullivan and Eric Church. Duet that's going to drag out, right? You yeah, think it's going to be a little long. I don't know what the number is this year, but who who like. I don't know either of these people. Eric uh, Church is a country artist, so I would imagine. I mean, Jasmine I I could have guessed too, that, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know who she is. I don't know that name. I can't believe that. Uh, I can't believe the Gatorade bath is still such a popular bet. All right, let's see. National anthem. The over under that I'm seeing is two minutes and three seconds. That's long, right? Ooh. I mean, it was so they're, under they're a already years in a row. But I think duet. I mean, it could it could drag. Look, over is over. I'm seeing is at plus one hundred five. So, I mean, two minutes and three seconds is long. Heads or tails? Tails never fails. All right, I just saw the uh, like the the global betting is like fifty point two percent on heads, and then like fifty point four percent of the money is on tails. So it's we like, we as a species are are just so dumb. Like, <laughs> and you wonder how GameStop betting, gets betting to on a coin toss with a vase. Not not yeah. the best move. <laughs> no, it is not. Uh, uh, like we could just flip a coin right now on the show and like we could pay no vig and we can just get the same excitement out of that. We need a specialty <laughs> coin though, a deep look coin. Yeah, that's uh, what you should you should put our money in. It's a deep look coin. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how we're gonna spend the ulti world budget right now specialty coins for each podcast um all right so uh, you know not not a ton going on in the news at the moment uh we're kind of just waiting to see how things are going to shake out with vaccinations and what the process of coming back to the sport is going to look like uh so i hope that we can get some more insight into that from our guest coming up here tanya uh by swinger and uh, looking forward to chatting with her so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be joined by the president of the Greater Rochester Area Disc Association. Stay with us. Joining us now on Deep Look is Tanya Beiswenger, who is the president of the Greater Rochester Area Disc Association, a.k.a. Grata, out of uh, Rochester, New York, where she served as president in various capacities for five years and uh as uh outside of ultimate is a board credentialed sports physical therapist and a certified athletic trainer with a master's of public health and a background in epidemiology tanya thank you so much for joining us thanks charlie thanks keith appreciate the opportunity it's fun to chat with you guys so uh, first question i'm just wondering how has it been this last few months you know running a disc organization when, you know, obviously the COVID-19 pandemic hits in March very suddenly and everybody's scrambling to figure out what to do. How has it been just managing the organization over these last, uh, you know, coming up on 12 months? Sure. Um, for, for us here in Rochester and I think probably across the country, you know, it really sort of started in March. Um, you know, we didn't have a spring season in March or April or May. Um, our youth season was, you know, really a total loss at that time. So um, we weren't playing in the spring. And then as the prevalence of COVID kind of came down, actually, in the Rochester area, um, we were classified as a moderate risk sport and cleared by our county to, to play at the end of June. And so we actually started, uh, you know, a, a very much adapted league format. Um, in July and ran a short summer league um, from July to um, early mid-ish August period, end August. So that was sort of our experience. And um, I want to kind of put that in a little bit of context um, because, you know, in talking to other people over, you know, these past six months, people are curious of, you know, what we did and we can talk about sort of the adapted rules and what worked and what didn't. And I'm happy to share that experience. But I also think it's like, 
I tell people you sort of have to know your community and know what's happening. And so um, for us, we were able to play because the prevalence of COVID, you know, in our community was pretty low at that time. You know, our test positivity rate was around one and a half to 2%. Um, and, you know, that's partially what made that possible. Um, Rochester is part of Monroe County, which has about 740,000 people in it. And we have about 800 active members, um, a quarter of which are, are youth players. So we ran summer leagues. Um, and when I try to explain this to folks, you know, I tell them it's sort of, I kind of had this evolving story about a fish pond, which is sort of like, if you picture a fish pond and COVID cases were fish, if the, if the pond is full of fish, no matter what your behavior, whether you're a good fisherman or not, you're probably going to catch a fish, right? If there aren't very many fish in the pond, you want to practice good behaviors, but you know, you're, you're probably not going to catch one if it's not well stocked. So for us, we had a low number of cases in the summertime. We ran those leagues. We did it with six foot static marks. Um, obviously one of the big questions is like, well, you know, is that real ultimate? Um, what do we do for defense? Um, so it's a six foot static mark, but we ran it with a arm's length dynamic mark. So if you were moving on the field, you know, you had to be an arm's length away. If you made a defensive play, that's fine. You know, you can make a quick defensive play, but then immediately establish, you know, one arm's length, um, socially distant sidelines, uh, disc sanitation with 70% alcohol, you know, a lot of the common practices that you saw outlined in the spring by USAU, but, that's kind of what we ran, attendance tracking. Um, to my knowledge, we were fortunate not to have any um, COVID positive players in the summer or the fall. And we oh, wow. concluded our fall league um, the second week of November. Um, at that time that we concluded, the test positivity rate was just beginning to climb. It was at 5%. Um, by January 1st and through the holidays, it had really climbed. We actually went through a pretty big spike that's just coming down now. We have not run any leagues since November. Now the, so you mentioned that you run the fall league and uh, the summer league. The fall league was also outdoors. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, all of this was happening outdoors. Um, and we have... When I looked back, we had eight, we have 800 active members that participated in 2018 and 2019. When we ran leagues this year, not all, not 800 people didn't come out. You know, there's obviously that's right. normal. We had about 268 individual participants, so this was a much smaller thing. And I would say it was you know besides rules being different, um, you know we have draft leagues and we have sort of bring your own team leagues, you know, where there's set teams that go year after year, these were all draft and we needed to really do that for equity reasons and to balance teams. And we also don't want, like if, if, if a team can't field enough players, you know, that can become a problem. Um, we also built those teams to be relatively large, about 15 or 16 per team um, with enough, and they were mixed also with enough uh, women so that you know, if you were not feeling well, we don't want you to come, right? We don't want to make people right. feel like if I don't show up, my team's going to be savage. That's right, right. not the right thing. So it, with with these guidelines kind of in place from, uh, you know, USA Ultimate and then from the the local governance, what was the response that you got from the community when you announced you were holding leagues? And then what was the reaction after you'd actually successfully gone through the leagues? Yeah. So do you mean like our ultimate community or our community at large or with, with, with your actual local community? Sure. So, um, so obviously we had a lot of meetings going into this and I would say, you know, expectation setting is really important, you know, letting people know that this isn't ultimate as usual. And these are what the rules are going to be, um, relative to masking and all of that. And then we surveyed our players about three weeks into the season to elicit some feedback from our summer league. And it was, you know, overall positive. Um, there were several people who didn't register for summer league and kind of wanted to see sort of how it went, which completely makes sense. Some of them came out and watched it. Um, and when we kind of looked at our data, um, 
We had really good fall registration because summer had gone well. The surveys from players were positive um, and encouraging. We you know, learned a couple things that we can do better. Um, and we also looked around and we saw, you know, we're wearing masks and doing all these things. Um, but, and we play in our, in our county park system, but we could, you know, look and sort of see kickball leagues happening and other things without masks and, you know, so, you know, relative to some other things that were going on, uh, we felt like we were being pretty safe. So, I mean, I think Rochester stands out in the, in the sense that there were not very many organizations around the country that hosted summer leagues or fall leagues this year. Uh, I know Utah ran a summer league. There were a couple like small leagues here and there. Uh, there was one in Wisconsin, I think, that started and then stopped because COVID cases were rising a lot there. Um, so, you know, initially when you decided that you wanted to hold leagues or, I mean, I guess, I guess the question is, how did you get to the point where you said, yes, we're comfortable holding leagues. Here's why we feel like it's, you know, acceptable it, because, you know, the return to play guidelines were out there for everybody. And a lot of people chose not to hold leagues. A lot of organizations chose not mm-hmm. to. So how did you get to the decision to say, yes, let's go for it? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty great question. So, um, you, again, you kind of have to sort of know your pond. You have to work really closely with your county partners. So for us, that's our county parks department and our county health department. So we had to submit a plan about how we would run lakes for approval. And then that had to go through the Department of Health. And they had to okay it as well. So you know, that's really important. And I would strongly suggest, you know, that just because we did this doesn't mean that it can be replicated in other communities or or cities um, of the same size or league structure. We're not a major metropolitan area. We're the third largest city in New York, but we're not, you know, we're not Philadelphia. We're not New York City. And the other thing is, to be frank, you know, I, I think we had good policies and procedures. I'm really proud of the way our community, you know, handled themselves and responded to the challenge. I, you know, I didn't have to like remind people and scold people for not wearing a mask or anything like that. You know, people embraced it, but, you know, were we a little lucky? Probably. Um, you know, we were lucky that we had very low COVID from July to early November. And then that ended. I would strongly suggest any league organizations, ultimate organizations that are considering doing anything like we did or anything else that, you know, have a conversation about what it takes to start. Now, some of that guidance came from, you know, our own county leadership, but have a conversation about what you're going to, under what conditions you stop, you know, don't start if you don't know when you're going to stop, because you want to have that conversation in advance. You don't want to be in a position of feeling like, gee, should we stop now? You know, it's really hard to put the brakes on once you start playing. I think, you know, we were winding down, literally, we were over about two weeks before cases really started to go up around Thanksgiving time, which, you know, honestly, you could predict, right? But, um, you know, don't start if you don't know under what conditions you're going to stop and do make that extremely clear to your community before you even begin. We, we've talked a lot about the sh- on the show about the unclear risks involved with exposure, particularly in outdoor sports. Uh, given your background, I, I, I thought you might have some some insight or uh, at least informed opinion about uh what those rates look like based on the information you're seeing or people that you're talking to, do you have a sense of, of what those kind of risks are and how others should be looking at this when making these assessments? Yeah, that's, that's sort of a, a bank of golden questions there. You know, I, I would say a part of my heart is really disappointed that at this point in the pandemic that we don't have the science about that. You know, we know airflow is important. We know outside is better than inside. Um, because I work in sports medicine and, and we cover, I think, over 20 area high schools and, and other sports programs um, from a sports medicine perspective, what, you know, I, 
I'm around that. Um, I sort of get a first glimpse, a little bit of what's gone well in those environments. And I, I, I know I'm informed a little bit by that for our community because that is our fish pond. You know, high school soccer went very well pretty much this fall outside. Um, and, you know, honestly, with less protective measures than we implemented, but that wasn't true everywhere across our country. So a couple of things that I would offer in terms of like what's safe and what's not. In my gut, um, when the test positivity rate gets above 5%, I start to get a little wary. The other principles that I think are really helpful is a, a DEET principle. I don't know if this is familiar, but it, it's an acronym. It stands for um, distance, uh, environment, activity or action, and time. Um, so distance is like all the things you think of in terms of social distancing, and um, that certainly plays a role. Environment is exactly what it sounds like. Are you outside or inside? You know, outside's certainly better. There are, they are looking at studies about airflow and ventilation and things like that, but you know, it's not at a granular level that I'd say it's it's practical for us to give us any insight about indoor ultimate from facility to facility. The A in the DEET principle is um, activity or action. So, you know, I think we all know when we're exercising, we're breathing more. That means you're putting out more particulates. That's just how that is. But there is some basic science to say that two people just running by each other really quickly, particularly masked, um, don't really induce a significant exposure. But that's not necessarily, you know, the case if it's repeated, right? But in open air, I do think that's a lot safer than inside. Um, Action or activity in that in that A acronym also stands for like the actions you take that are protective, which would include masking, uh, you know, sanitation, uh, symptom screening, all of those things. And then T is for time. So we did run standard games uh, to 15, um, but time includes your exposure. We kept it to a 10 second mark. Um, at six feet, but uh, to be honest, you know, with a six foot mark, people were getting the disc off a lot faster than 10 seconds. <laughs> um, <laughs> understandably. Um, but time is also like, we didn't do the social stuff afterwards. You know, we didn't have pizza parties afterwards. We didn't have league tournaments where you played all day on Saturday. Um, 2020 was our 20th anniversary. You know, we planned this huge bash, you know, that we didn't get to have. Um, so we, we kept that time really ultimate focused and minimal exposure. I don't know if that answers your question, but I do think those four factors, when we look at some of the evidence that is out there, um, keep popping up. How did the actual gameplay go? Because I think a lot of people have the sense it's like, well, if I have to play with a mask and I have to play with a six foot plus mark, um, or, you know, keeping distance while I'm playing defense, then it's not worth it. It's not ultimate. It, do, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like it. So, you know, from what you heard from people who played in the leagues, how did they feel about it after having done it? You know, that's, that's great. I think my favorite comment from our player survey that we did like three weeks in is, um, you know, I was worried this was going to suck. And actually, it doesn't suck nearly as much as I thought it was going to. <laughs> I'm actually enjoying myself. And I'm like, all right, you know, I mean, because that's fine, right? We, we were really upfront, like this isn't ultimate as usual. Right. And, you know, uh, if you don't like it, hey, that's fine. But this is how it has to be. Um, people seem to enjoy it. Now, you know, I don't know if that's because they had been cooped up all spring. And no matter what we kind of ultimate product we put out there, they waited fun, but it was also people seeing each other, um, you know, playing. It is hard playing in the mask in the beginning, but it's it's very doable. I mean, we were doing it in the summer in August. It was pretty hot. But you have to make accommodations for that. But I thought it was fun. And we have some pretty competitive players who came out. And when I saw that, you know, some of those higher-level club players were coming out to play and enjoying it and kind of getting their feedback, I felt like we were putting a good product on the field. Um but, you know, you do have to do things. Playing in a mask is different. You might need more frequent breaks, especially if it's 80 degrees outside. Um, we created sort of zones, almost like air benches. Like if you need to come off, you know, and go over there where you're by yourself and pull your mask down to breathe for a bit, go do that, you know. 
So there's some expectations and space that you have to lay out to make that happen, but you can. And larger teams means it usually works out. I'm I'm willing to bet that a lot of the people who reacted with such like uh, uh, such extreme reactions to USAU's original guidelines uh, that asked for these kind of requirements would probably be really glad to play any version of Ultimate, given how uh, you know that was a long time ago when uh, we uh, we didn't necessarily know that we would be cooped up for this long. But uh, I think people's attitudes might have changed uh, since then. But uh, I asked earlier about the reaction of of your local community, and you brought up the, the extended Ultimate community. I imagine that you get the chance to communicate with other folks in other discords uh, or just hear from people online. We've seen in our experience, a pretty big negative reaction towards most any organizations that have considered playing in ultimate social media. Now we know that that's a bit of a, a bit of a bubble. Uh, so you hear a lot of the same voices, but uh, what has been the response or what are you hearing from folks that you're talking to about this from outside of your local community and in the greater ultimate community? You know, I haven't gotten a ton of feedback. I've gotten sort of questions and sort of shared what we've done. And I tried to really say, like, just because we did this, like, you know, just realize, you know, there's different factors. You sort of have to know your own community. You know, our city, you can get in the car and drive across the whole thing, you know, in 20 minutes, 25 minutes, across the whole county in 40 minutes. If there's a traffic jam here, it means that you got home 10 minutes later. You know, it's not... (laughs) It's different, you know, so you got to know, you know, know your place. But um, so in terms of feedback, you know, at the same time that we were getting that permission from the county to play, you know, we were seeing youth teams and other leagues getting that permission. And and I would say just observationally and from talking to other sports partners here in Rochester, like it wasn't always masked. It wasn't always like we looked in many regards, like this, the safest game going. And, um, that feedback was, you know, that's what we got. Right. And that was really positive. And I think to help feed us forward a little bit to fall now, you know, I didn't feel comfortable running an indoor league and particularly in the middle of our COVID spike, which is just coming down. Now those same practices and behaviors, even though they were maybe good for us in the summer and, um, the fall, I, I don't think we, I don't think we would have done well. I really don't. Yeah. So how do you move forward from here? You know, in, in Rochester, like, are you planning on holding spring leagues? Um, I assume there's some youth ultimate that's, you know, high schools getting ready to start playing normally, uh, coming up in a, in a, in a few weeks. What's the plan moving forward given where we are right now? Yeah. I mean, that's everybody's question for our youth. I mean, they lost their entire spring season, which is, you know, really pretty devastating. Some of those teams were really senior heavy. And so they, you know, how do you recruit and keep some of those smaller teams even sustainable? So I think we're, you know, it it pains me to say it, but I think we're expecting some contraction of our youth program and we need to do some real work to rekindle. Um, Our youth directors just reached out to coaches. We are, Assuming that we kind of get down to where we were in uh, July, we would expect similar clearance. I will let you know that just last week, high school sports for girls and boys basketball, ice hockey, and wrestling um, were cleared. So I'm kind of watching that with a watchful eye to see what that experience is. I'm hopeful that we will be able to run our spring leagues with the same you know, procedures that we ran in the summer, um, inclusive of youth. Uh, again, looks like, you know, rates are coming down. And if we get to that point, I hope we'll get the same clearance. We, we did well in the summer and the fall, and that was noted by our county partners. So I actually think that gives us a little bit of credibility too, but you know, that's that our hope is for spring. Were, were you all doing any or have the capability to do any sort of testing? I think you mentioned contact tracing uh, and a, a separate question, because I think that's a, a pretty short kind of yes, no answer is uh, I, I also want to ask about the about how the vaccine distribution is going to impact your decision making moving forward. Um, OK, so no, we did not do asymptomatic testing. Um, like a lot of ultimate organizations, we're not a health court organization. 
Um, we did symptom screening and, and just reminding people constantly, um, you know, if you have these symptoms, do not come. We took away any financial disincentive. So if you're sick, you can have your league money back. Don't come. Um, if we, you know, there's also issues about privacy around this, right? So if somebody came to me and say, hey, I played last week and I found out two days later that, you know, I tested positive. What's our responsibility? How do we handle the privacy? You know, what do we do with that? And so you really need to have conversations as, as a ultimate organization about how you're going to handle that. If one person tests positive on a team, if two people do, if you have a cluster outbreak, tracing communication, again, you know, work with your county health partners. Usually your department of health wants to know that and will help you with a lot of that legwork, but have those discussions ahead of time. We had decided that if we have a positive um, case, okay, that, you know, it could mean us shutting down for two weeks. Um, The whole league. Well, that would depend. Okay. So, um, if it's just two teams and one person on one team is positive and it was within that window, those two teams would potentially be done for two weeks. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, now we're talking about some pretty abbreviated seasons, depending when that happens, that could be a season under you have, you know, a case on one team and a case on another and a case on another. Yeah. That, that would easily shut it down. Sure. Um, most people who, if they test positive and are going to be symptomatic, are usually symptomatic within 10 to 14 days. 14 would be, you know, very conservative. Um, but realistically, you know, you're looking at weeks anyway. So two weeks makes sense. But, um, yeah, so that's that's what it takes. And then I think the third part is how does vaccine change it, right? Yeah. How does the distribution of the vaccine and, and people being able to get vaccinated, how is that factor in your decision-making for the future for Grana? Sure. Um, you know, I'm a, a frontline healthcare worker, so I'm, I'm fortunate. You know, I've received both my doses of vaccine, and that's great. So I was in the, probably the first 1% of people living in the state to receive that. And that's, you know, I'm very lucky, right? Very privileged to have that opportunity. That That's not everyone's opportunity. Um, and I don't think whether you're vaccinated or not should change anything. Okay. It takes in terms of rules, in terms of masking or distancing and all of that right now for spring, it, it wouldn't change a thing in terms of the rules that we would look to roll out because I don't think we're going to have enough of our population vaccinated where it's going to make a difference. The second thing is you know, we're seeing some new variants of COVID that may be more contagious. We don't know about that. We also don't know that if you're vaccinated, it's, it seems like you're less likely to transmit, but there's this caveat out there that realize like just because you're vaccinated may mean that you could still give it to other people. And I think you, um, you know, you had a a program just a few weeks ago on the ethics of return to play. And, you know, this isn't just a a you thing. It's a community thing. You know, you have a responsibility, not just to to you and your team, but your team's mom and dad and kids and grandma and grandpa, you know, it's a little bit bigger than that. So in terms of how the vaccination changes rules or behaviors, you know, for the next immediate future that I can see, um, I don't, I don't think it really changes anything right now. You know, you talked about how the the local rules or the county rules, the state rules, classified mm-hmm. ultimate as a moderate risk sport. There yeah. were there was an opportunity to come back. Uh, this is something that I think a lot of other areas have faced at some point. Maybe not right this minute, while we're kind of at the highs of COVID across the country. Although, thankfully, rates cases case numbers and hospitalizations have been falling for about three weeks. Um, but, you know, people have the opportunity potentially to set up some kind of league or competition and in many cases chose not to do so. So I, I guess I'm curious, you know, just like from a risk standpoint, how do you see ultimate? And, and let's 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 keep it to the kind of the parameters that we've set here. Right. You're playing outside. 
you're uh, wearing a mask, you're, you're being smart about the distance that you allow for marking. And so, you know, assuming that you're putting these things in place, what is the risk level of ultimate in your, in your assessment? And is it acceptable? And like, you know, should other disc organizations who are being told by their county or state or city health departments, you're allowed to play, should they play? That's tough. So (laughs) I I don't think it's, I don't think ultimate is low risk. Okay. Um, I think moderate is probably fair, but you know, what are we talking about when we're talking about risk? I mean, even, I'm not sure we even know all of the intrinsic and extrinsic risk factors for this disease yet. Okay. So Um, and we know some of those risk factors are behavioral. It's not just about the sport. So to say, you know, it's ultimate moderate risk, you know, I'd have to say like, well, the people that are playing it, what are they doing? You know? So it's a, it's a really, there are a lot of vectors that go into that question. So I think, you know, if, if, but to answer your question, if you had to box me in, yeah, I would say ultimate is moderate risk. And there are a lot of things you can do to reduce that risk by being outside, wearing masks, all the, all the things that we talked about. Right. And that risk profile is likely to change over time. So realize that that like you're moderate risk, but you know, we were moderate risk when we were playing and doing great in the summer, sure. but our moderate risk sport, I don't feel comfortable playing in January when we were in the middle of a spike, right? So does that really matter then? So this is sort of where that, that fish pond story kind of keeps coming up. Right. You know, it's, it's, um, it's just not that tidy. I'm so sorry. I, I, I know, think, I know, I know it's not you know, <laughs> low and moderate and high risk. I think that's useful to a degree, you know, for t- trying to figure it out. But um, I, I just think it's a little bit more complicated and you just take a little time to do the best you can with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far it does seem like if you're outside and you're following those deep principles and again, the prevalence is low where you are. Um, maybe, you know, maybe yeah. you can do okay. I think it'll be really interesting, right? Like we might be that controlled study who knows, maybe we do exactly the same thing this spring with the same prevalence level of COVID and don't do well. I mean, that's entirely possible. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's amazing that you got through two leagues with zero cases, uh, obviously known cases, but right. But still, I mean, yeah, that's, that's amazing. I mean, I, you know, the, the limited ultimate that we've heard about happening has had similar results. You know, the Utah, I don't think they had any cases out in Utah. Um, so uh, I guess, you know, how's uh, last quick question here? Like, how's the organization doing? A lot of disc organizations have been struggling because of the drop in revenues and just, um, you, know, no, you know, a lot of programs having to get canceled. Uh, how has um, Ro- Rochester been doing? Yeah. Um, yeah, I appreciate that question, too, actually, because that's pretty important. So we actually stayed budget neutral, meaning that compared to the previous year, we didn't gain or lose. So from my perspective, you know, it's sort of the executive officer of this organization, like that was awesome Um, because we had already spent for winter indoor, which is by far most biggest expenditure, you know, indoor turf space is very pricey. Um, But we did okay. Um, We also charged a lot less to play in our summer and fall league experiments because we felt like you were getting less. You weren't getting a pizza party at the end and you were getting a a shorter season. And so we were charging, you know, 25 bucks. Um, but it's, so it's a little different, but we, we were budget neutral um, and we're in a good position, you know, going into 2021, whatever that looks like, but, you know, it's, it's good to sort of check in on that with your treasurer quarterly and look at those things, look at your expenditures, but a lot of things that were expensive for us, we didn't spend on, we didn't have those, um, you know, tournaments at the end of, you know, summer league and fall league. We didn't have our 20th anniversary bash. I hope we get to have some kind of bash someday and it will be one hell of a party when we get to have it. (laughs) But, um, you know, so I'm going to come up there. Come on up here. (laughs) What is it? Five hour drive to Rochester from New York city. Something like that. 
well, maybe a little bit more. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit more. But uh, yeah, no, we're you know. So you know, I'm I'm lucky, right? I have this like awesome bunch of smart, funny, really committed people around me on our board of directors and our volunteers, and um, you know, I'm proud of our community. They they really stepped up to the challenge, and I, I didn't get a whole lot of pushback about like mask wearing or any of the things that we were doing. And again, I think pe- keeping people cooped up for three months and then letting them out, maybe that's, that's the, the ticket. I'm not really <laughs> sure, but, um, you know, but so far, I mean, that's the experience I can share. I really, you know, I, I don't know a lot about what happened in other areas of the country, except the few people I have talked to, but I'm always interested to hear more and would welcome contact from anyone that wants to share. Yeah, great. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking some time with us here today, and uh, good luck with with whatever we can start yeah. to to do in twenty twenty one in terms of ultimate. And uh, it's great to hear that the uh, organization's hanging in there. Yeah, thank you guys. It's really nice talking to you both. I appreciate it. Tanya Beiswinger with us here on Deep Look. Thanks so much, and we'll be right back. Thanks. I'm Melissa Whitmer, the founder of the Ultimate Athlete Project and the creator of the largest, most international online coaches conference in the world. And this year at the conference, I'm going to be talking about how to use visualization as a training tool. This topic is super relevant right now because a lot of the world isn't play, able to play Fulfilled Ultimate as we know it. So I'm super excited to be able to share this pretty new topic with the Ultimate community. So what people say they love most about our UAP Coaches Conference is the eclectic mix of topics and perspectives that we provide. So this year is no different. We've got everything from spirit of the game and social justice to how to teach continuation cutting. And I just love that ideas both big picture and really focused and practical can all fit into this conference together and that we get perspectives from many parts of the world. It's impossible for me to pick favorites this year, but one talk I'm really looking forward to is Daniel Benora's A Palestinian Perspective on the Intersectionality of Spirit of the Game and the Struggle for Justice. Um, Just reading that title makes me feel like an intellectual, Um, but really I think this talk is just super relevant right now as so many of us are thinking about the intersection between the ultimate community and the larger problems of the world. And for each of us, maybe just wondering what's our place and our role in all that. So I hope that you come to the conference, get inspired, and then get to work. Uh, Because as coaches, you have the largest influence on what the future of Ultimate is going to look like. So please don't take that for granted. Um, And uh, so, yeah, all the presentations are free to watch. And you can register for the conference at uh, theuap.com. That's www.theuap.com. Hope to see you there. Welcome back to Deep Look. Great to hear from Melissa Whitmer there talking about the uh, upcoming Ulti Results Coaching Academy, the IRCA conference, which I've been both a participant and uh, viewer of, a spectator, uh, excited excited about this year. So if, if you never checked it out, if you're looking to get your virtual fix of the ultimate community and learn to be a better coach, highly recommend uh, that you check it out. Great. Uh, and of course, it was really great to talk with Tanya. Uh, really appreciated her candor and insight into what they've been doing in Rochester. And, you know, Keith, kind of, what, what's your reaction to what she had to say? Oh, very well-reasoned. Uh, you know, she uh, seems to be quite a, a measured individual, uh, which is funny because it stands in such stark contrast to, like, the the social media backlash and, and outrage and, like, the level of, of discourse around this topic on social media and, and ultimate Twitter. But uh, – it's, it was, you know, a situation where I was like, she, 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 she impressed upon us a couple different times, you know, that they were in a situation where they felt like this, this was a safe thing to do. And that may not be the case for every other disc organization and that each one needs to look individually at their own situation. And I, I have to wonder, you know, I don't think we have the data to know, but how many other local discords have this environment that this pond, as she kind of used the the metaphor for is how, how many 
other disc organizations could safely run a league like this? Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, things things have changed a lot since the summer. You know, we are in, in many parts of the country, particularly places that had been, had faced difficulties early in the pandemic, like New York, uh, obviously specifically the city, but even in the state, you know, we had very high cases back in March. And then you go into, you know, the summertime and the mitigation strategies, you know, finally get to the point where they're catching up and people are taking it seriously. So, you know, case rates were extremely low. Even in New York City, they were extremely low. Um, but, you know, in the more rural parts of New York, as we heard, you know, one, two percent case positivity rate, you're in a situation where it's very low. Now, many of the other parts of the country at that point were seeing higher caseloads, places that hadn't faced the difficult times in March. So I think it, it's hard to assess the answer to that question, because I think in general, cities had it a little bit worse. Uh, and then, you know, the southern and Midwestern states had a little bit worse in the summertime. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think what I what I thought was interesting to hear is that, you know, they worked very closely with the health department. They came up with a strategy. Other things were happening in their area. And they had what I mean, I, I don't think there's any other way to say it. It sounds like it was very successful, all things considered. And this is to me, this is the model that everybody should be looking at to see how we move forward because it's localized play. It allows people to play if they want and not play if they don't want, right? You, you, she says that normally they have, what, 800 people and then they only had 250. So a bunch of people say, I'm, I'm not comfortable playing, but that's okay. Those other people were able to play. And then you have safety measures in place, which it sounds like people were pretty compliant, uh, and I think one of the big concerns is like, are people going to just not comply with the rules? And, you know, at least in my experience, people from the ultimate Frisbee world are, are, are very conscious about these issues. They are wearing masks. They are taking it seriously. So I think if you have those rules in place for a league, they're going to take them seriously there as well. Um, so, you know, as of it stands today in, you know, early February with caseloads still quite high. I don't know that it would make sense, and in a lot of parts of the country, it's too cold to play, but this, to me, is what Ultimate's restart's going to look like. This is the kind of game, right, altered marks, mask wearing, that we're probably going to see before we get back to play as normal. And I think that, you know, disc organizations need to be talking to their, to their constituents and seeing what do they, you know, what do their constituents want? Clearly, there are people who want to play. There were people who wanted to play six months ago. There are going to be people who want to play in the spring and summer. Can you accommodate them in a safe way? I think you have a little bit of a look at what that could look like. And I think that's in our kind of like social media powered community right now that there's kind of an incl in, uh, inclination to react to news that goes against your position, which in this case, a lot of people had a fairly aggressive, like anti-playing stance, you know, and I can understand the reasons for that. But uh, I think it's, it's like, oh, this is, this can't be right. Or I have problems with this rather than seeing it as potentially good news that there is a, a, a safe path forward in the right conditions. So I, I would hope that people have a little bit of open-mindedness to this rather than, than kind of digging their heels in. But I do something that you mentioned and that that stuck out with the ton with Tanya's interviews that there was it does sound like they had good support from their local government and you and I have talked about how there's been kind of a lack of institutional support from higher level organizations whether they be governmental or you know within the sport of ultimate it kind of feels like a, a lot's been left up to local organizations maybe out of a fear of making the wrong decision from the top. So it sounded like that was there. And I think that's part of part of what helped make this successful. And and I I, I want to give you a chance to say something before I talk more about kind of a, a Goldilocks effect here. Okay. I mean, the only thing I'm going to say is that people feel there are mixed opinions about whether to play. There are mixed opinions about w w people wanting to come back or not. And, you know, so far, mostly 
organizations have been very conservative and opted not to offer playing opportunities because they're concerned about COVID or they couldn't, they couldn't offer them because of local rules. Obviously that's a completely separate situation, but I, I do think that as we, as, as the highest risk people begin to get vaccinated and we're talking about playing outdoor ultimate with sensible alterations to reduce risk, you are in a situation where you can say, okay, if you don't want to play, that's fine. But we have a lot of people who do want to play. We want to make those opportunities available. Because if you don't do that, what's going to happen is people are going to play in uncontrolled situations. They're going to play in the rogue pickup games. They're going to, they're going to, you know, and obviously that's already happening, but I think that's only going to increase if there's a lot of, you know, reluctance from disc organizations to start to allow people to return to play in a safe way. So uh, the, the thing I was kind of getting at is, is do you feel like there's kind of a Goldilocks effect here in Rochester, you know, you have an environment where you have a supportive, communicative local government, you have very low case rates, you have a community that is small enough that, you know, you, ha- you have less risk, like, like Tony talked about the less stocked crowded pond, mm-hmm. but that it was big enough that you could have a league where people are enjoying themselves, where teams are big enough that you can deal with people coming and not coming uh, or potentially getting sick, uh, you know, is there kind of a, a a sweet spot that they happen to be in that makes this not very replicable in other places? You know, if you're in a community where the trans, where the COVID rate is already low, that could be indicative that you have a lot of people who have been compliant with safe behaviors. And I imagine sure. that a lot of those communities are also not the ones who were politically inclined to be really permissive with what sports are able to go on. And, you know, you, you see those kind of effects, like, is this a just right situation in Rochester? How many other places have these, this, this nexus of yeah. the right things going on? Yeah, man, it's a great question. I don't know. I don't know the answer to, I don't know the answer to it. I, my, my, my thinking is we need to look at the evidence that we have about outdoor sports in general. We have very little data about ultimate, almost none. Uh, because there's been so little played during the, uh, you know, the last 12 months. So we also, Charlie, we have very little data about ultimate and period pandemic <laughs> or no, we basically know nothing stats, about ultimate. Stats, please. So, um, yeah, no, the, the, so, so I don't think we can, you know, I don't want to say, oh, well, look, Rochester had leagues and therefore it's safe to play ultimate because they had no cases. That's obviously an, an unreasonable conclusion to draw, but I do think we can look at the totality of what we have seen about playing sports outdoors. And for the most part, what we have seen is that there is almost no evidence of transmission during the game itself. There have been no documented cases from professional sports of cases being passed, uh, you know, transmission of COVID during the game itself. It's always been meals, workouts, you know, locker room, all of the other peripherals that I do think localized league play can avoid in ultimate. Um, and if you look at the broader world of just outdoor transmission, there's almost none. I mean, it really is extremely low numbers relative to COVID transmission. So you're just not seeing it happening outdoors. So in my mind, you know, you put those pieces together. The fact that we haven't seen in our limited cases anecdotally from ultimate we haven't seen transmission happening. We haven't really seen it happening in other sports either. And we haven't seen it happening outdoors in general. To me, that's that we can put that together and say, this is probably a fairly reasonable level of risk to take to come back and start playing ultimate. And I think Tanya was really sensible in the things that she was saying, like, you have to have a plan for when you're going to stop. What happens if there is a positive COVID case? What happens if the case rate goes up? What are you going to do in those situations? And obviously, you need to have those measures in place. I'm not just saying we just go back to playing. But I think that the evidence that we have, the scientific evidence that we have, suggests that outdoor sport competition is very low risk relative to many of the other things that we do. And we, t- we had a whole show about this a couple months ago, so I don't need to rehash all the arguments, but Nothing has changed since then. 
the things that are risky, we know it's being indoors, it's being, uh, you know, unmasked, it's, uh, it's being in the grocery store, it's, you know, especially it's being inside with other people without masks. I mean, we, we, we know this. And I think there was a, the study in New York, something like 75 or 80% of case transmission was happening indoors at like private gatherings. So it's, it's people basically breaking the COVID rules and passing it because they're gathering with their family and friends. So, so does, go ahead. does this make you more optimistic for the potential for us to have ultimate hundred percent in the spring or summer? How, how can it not? I mean, they, they put together a game. So there's a number of things that I think makes it positive. Number one, people complied with the rules. Number two, the game didn't totally suck. Number three, they had no COVID. I mean, what more do you want to see out of a league with a couple hundred people in it besides those things? Because I do think, you know, it's it's not going to be all back at once, right? If we wait for all back at once, we might not play until the middle of next year. And I don't think that that's realistic, to be perfectly honest. So so all together, good news. I mean, I think that you know, hearing from Tanya is really good because I, I I think we've heard a lot of the the bear case to go back to uh, financial talk uh, <laughs> when you know there there's a bull case to be made and it's nice to see a, an example uh, a test case so to speak and she said that they may end up being uh, an example of of a model that that people can use just as you said that they that they perhaps should be. Did you sell your GameStop stock? Did I? Not all of it. Well, I'll say that some of it, but not all of it, but, uh, okay. I, I've covered, I, I cannot lose money on this. That's, that's where I'm, where I'm at, but, uh, my hands are not paper either, you know? <laughs> oh man. Remember when I said, I'm worried about the people who bought it 300, 400, $500. I do. But I also remember when you said, when you said that like $40 was preposterous and it's never going to go any higher than that. So. Yeah, I was a little skeptical that it was going <laughs> to go up past $100 a share. So I was wrong. It's was wrong it's funny. That. It's funny. So like on, on Wall Street bets, like basically at every single point of this interaction, they they have been posting the Volkswagen chart from when the Volkswagen squeeze happens. And there's mm-hmm. like a big dip and then the squeeze. And they're always like, you are here. And it's like in the dip. But it could have been any – like for weeks they've been posting that. Anytime there was a slight dip, it's like you are here. And then the other day someone posted you are here and it was the Volkswagen squeeze. But they erased all the parts where it went up and just had to keep going down. <laughs> so it's like you are here and you're going to keep crashing. So and it was nice to see a little reality. to the grave. But yeah. Oh, man. Um, all right. Well, our, our subscriber bonus segment is we're going to be talking about the best – ultimate adjacent games what are the things that you'd play when you aren't playing ultimate but you're with the ultimate crew so I'm sure and i think, think i have i think i have some charlie that you will not know or that really? our listeners won't know i think oh, so i like i hope i hope i got a couple in the bag and some that i really like almost as much as ultimate ultimate's not really that great you don't like ultimate what are you talking about i'm just kidding i'm just kidding. i'm just trolling <laughs> i have to get you out of this pod it's, it's a bad name though although we did talk about in the discord uh, can we just crowdsource enough money to get Frisbee to let us use the word Frisbee? I think Ultimate Frisbee is superior to, to Ultimate. Well, I mean, I think it would be nice to be able to use Frisbee and and not have it feel like it's we're breaking copyright. I, I don't even really know how Whammo feels about it. You would think it would be a lot of advertising for them, wouldn't you? You would think. You would think. I mean, they've got Frisbees in every Walmart and exporting goods but i guess people know what frisbees are but still if you're like getting a bunch of people who say that like oh i play with a frisbee more frequently and it's a lot of fun like yeah i i feel like it's a win-win and they should just let us use it anyway check out our subscriber bonus segment you can become a subscriber (laughs) for less than four dollars a month and uh, get access to the bonus podcast segments exclusive articles subscriber only newsletter and a whole bunch more um i've I have one more takeaway from Tanya's interview. Okay, go. If you're if you are a Rochester person listening to this, and you are or know somebody who is a youth player getting ready to go to college, University of Connecticut, it's a nice place to play, especially <laughs> if you want to play for a college women's team. Just throwing that out there. Rochester, not that far from Connecticut. Regionally, you know, we're in, we're in the same area. Metro East, baby. Metro East. Metro East. Um, so that is gonna do it for this week's show. <laughs> 
Uh, check us out on the YouTubes. Let us know. We're also we're also launching a Twitch channel very soon. That's a little sneak preview for our Deep Look listeners. Twitch channel coming soon. So uh, keep an eye out for it. If you go for more for more than just Deep it. Look, yeah, it's just we're we're gonna stream Twitch. <laughs> it's just twenty four seven Deep Look. Yeah, <laughs> Charlie and I's and I just taped. going about through our day with a live stream. <laughs> oh gosh, no, no, it will not be that. Uh, but you know, this won't be deep look on Twitch. Uh, there, if if it could be some like really fun ultimate content. I hope you, I hope you're going to join us there once we uh, once we go live. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for this week's deep look. For Keith Rayner, I'm Charlie Eisenhood saying so long, and we'll talk to you next week.